I just want to welcome everybody to Inspiration and Adaptation, uh, Benell Street Art Center's weekly dialogues to illuminate current issues and empower audiences across Alaska and beyond with creative strategies for maneuvering challenging times. Today is our final in a five-week series of conversations on Indigenous land acknowledgement, but I, I certainly hope that this dialogue will continue and will resurface again. This is just a discrete series. Um, I'm Asia Freeman, Artistic Director of Benell Street Art Center and a lifelong visitor on this land called Ilagagik, Ilagalak. I'm gonna try it one more time, Ilagalak. Sally just taught me, it's Sukbiak. It's Sukstun word for Homer, Ilagalak. On Kajikmak, Kachimak Bay, Kajikmak. The process of erasing and overwriting indigenous place names is a strategy of colonization and white supremacy. Today, as we lift up indigenous names and acknowledge Denina and Supiak lands, we meet with three local leaders, indigenous artist activist Melissa Shaganoff, Sally Ash, who teaches Sukstun, the language of the Supiak people on the south side of Kajikmak, uh, and um, Severine Bentz, Education Coordinator for Ketchumak Bay Research Reserve. I'm ex excited to speak with all of you about the potential for collaboration and cross-pollination in the work of strengthening communities through education and recognition of indigenous stewardship of these lands since time immemorial. Let me more completely introduce each of our speakers. Melissa Shaganoff is part of the caribou and fish eater clans of the Chickaloon village. She is an Adna and Paiute artist and activist, a social, uh, a social activist, and currently the curator of Alaska Pacific University's art galleries. Within her current work, Melissa is focused intently on potlatching. She believes the only future in which institutions embody indigenous ideologies is one that publicly recognizes the power and autonomously gives it away. She has participated in many residencies and trainings, published in many magazines, um, including First Americans Magazine, Inuit Art Quarterly, Smithsonian Arctic Studies Center Learning Lab. And she's currently working on a year-long project revolved around social engagement and conversation as art practice. Welcome, Melissa. Yeah. Sally Ash was born and raised in Nanwalik. She graduated and went to high school in Soldovia and after the Molly Hooch case and when, in which Molly Hooch sued the state of Alaska so she and other students could go to school in nearby home communities, Sally was able to go to school nearby. And um, she in Nanwalek was among the first people, she didn't start the Sukhstan language program, but that began when Sally went to high school in Soldovia. And later she went to school to teach uh, language immersion from the Agapun school in Bethel. She's been teaching Sukhstan language in Nanwalek since about 1989. Welcome Sally. Very glad to have you with us. Severine Bentz um, grew up on Kajikmak, uh, Kachimak Bay, and uh, she um, and our surrounding waterlands. Um, she currently works in the education and coastal training program at the Kachimak um, Bay National Estuarine Research Reserve, providing formal and informal learning opportunities and technical assistance to a wide range of audiences. She has a BS in geology and an MS in earth sciences from Montana State University with a focus on sedimentary geology and spatial science. And her primary interests include landscape change, coastal processes, and ecosystem services. Severine enjoys translating science for stakeholders and values collaborations and knowledge sharing between scientists, decision makers, and local community members. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. I'm gonna um, ask that we could begin by hearing from Melissa. Um, recently, you submitted a proposal for land acknowledgement in action to Bunnell Street Art Center. And this was after leading uh, multiple workshops on um, land acknowledgement, which Severine and, and others participated in. Melissa, would you, would you share with us in as much detail as you'd like your proposal? And um, that will kind of bring us into our 
um, discussion today. Of course. Um, uh, so I'll start by introducing myself. Willie Jen and Serote, Melissa Shagnos is at the land, Yudishuas Kwakara at land, and Itini Anna Hayak Sensiadin, Chinan Kotano is at North land. Uh, it's good to see you all here today. My name is Melissa Shagnoff, as Asia introduced me. I'm Caribou and Fish Eater Clan from Night Diniana, um, or the Log of the River, or Chickaloon Village. Um, and I'm an artist and uh, activist and curator, Golgeshna. Uh, and it's, it's good to see you, so Chinan, for being here. Um, you know, I also want to say right at the top, too, that I really want to, you know, say Chanan and thank you to Asia and Adele um, at Benel. It's been such um, a beautiful relationship working with Benel. And I know that it's always a place where I can sort of turn to bounce ideas off of and to really kind of... Um, start new new projects and and new collaborations and and really kind of in a way sort of you know give my my stipulations as to how we can do something the right way you know even though it takes extra work and asia and i were just texting yesterday and asia was like you know um i went ahead and i got you know the the permission from Nanilchik elders and to make sure they were okay with your project and you know it just kind of brought me to tears because that's something that's been heavy on my heart and just just the pandemic right you know it's hard to it's hard to you know, keep up and to make sure that you're, you're, you're doing all the right things. And so to, to feel like Benel has my back and, and trying to do the right thing, at least like within the indigenous way and within the way that we've communicated just means so much. And um, sorry, as a long winded thank you, but <laughs> thank you, Asia. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so this project um, was really kind of born out of a lot of the work that I've been doing over the last two years, uh, I I went to a conference when I was in Canada, um, and while I was there, I had heard a land acknowledgement, and I knew all about land acknowledgements. I had kind of um, I'd experienced them, uh, you know, but but in kind of but in a more distanced way. When I was in front of somebody saying it to me it really felt like they were speaking to me, you know, um, I saw that person in a whole different light. You know, I, I looked at them and thought that they considered, you know, myself and my history and my people in the work that they did. And I realized then like the relationship that a really sincere land acknowledgement can, can have, you know, um, and so I started the land acknowledgement workshops <laughs> uh, shortly after actually I experienced Emily Johnson's workshop in Anchorage. Uh, I see Emily on there. Um, I don't think she's, she's been part of one of my workshops yet, but I always at the top also thank Emily too um, for just like her guidance in, in really feeling land acknowledgements in your body as as a as a as a human you know connected to a place and a physical sort of form um yeah i think that in many ways land acknowledgement kind of been my sort of entry point into addressing so many different ind indigenous issues within the museum world within the activism world it's been a way for me to talk about the truth of things, you know, and, you know, talk about beyond this sort of belief system of acknowledging people, what is just the truth? You know, indigenous people have been in Alaska for, you know, according to archaeological record, over 15,000 years. And when we put that in perspective for, for our listeners, that's before the pyramids, that's before written Western language. And that's a long time. And then it, when you peel back another layer, it's, it's like, well, how have they done that for so long? How do they continue to, to be here and thrive here? Despite, you know, white supremacy, colonization, and, you know, a forcible, you know, removal of land and language, you know, it's, it's because of our relationships to place and to land. It's our physical, you know, belief system that is 
rooted in being a good person means caring for the land. Being a good person meaning means you you walk through the land, you 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 interact with animals in the best way you you can, because they're essentially they're your they're your they're your your god they're your spiritual connection um you know our our word in atna for for like a higher power is animal's breath you know and i think that when you start to realize those things about indigenous cultures that you know that we really look at the animals in the land is kind of our our moral compass because in because you only survive and you only continue if the land chooses you, if the animal chooses you. And I think that walking through that world and that way of being might mean that you'll walk through it differently, that you'll, you'll, you'll enter a space um, and want to commune with it rather than conquer it, you know, and, uh, you know, anyways, I'm, I'm getting a little abstractive, <laughs> but I think that it's important to kind of understand that that land acknowledgement can be very layered, you know, and that the issue happens when it isn't felt personally. So the workshops that I do is very much like an investigation of, okay, here's land acknowledgement 101. We'll do a very quick taste of what, what it is. Um, but then we jump right into questions with each group about who you are as a person. What powers and privileges do you have in your work, in your life, in your body, you know, that you can find a way to potlatch, you know, and in my culture, potlatch is like giving away your wealth. It's giving away, you know, something of yourself with the belief that if you do that, kind of like karma, it's going to come back to you, you know. So I like to think of almost everything that I do is potlatch is sort of like my check you know it's it's making sure that if i'm if i'm operating in a potlatch way in a way that is about first recognizing what it is that i can give to that space or that person or that group i think that it always comes back to you it always comes back to you in a relationship it always comes back to you in an opportunity it always comes back to you in you know kind of a new inspiration of the next step of your work you know and uh so we really we talk about that and th talk about how you know we can start to embody those ideas you know in land acknowledgement because something emily taught me is that um you know there's accomplices and allies you know and we actually want accomplices. We want people who are helping us change things, you know, not just saying, oh yeah, good job. That's great. You're doing it. We want people who are in it with us. So I want people to look at land acknowledgement as really like a personal reflection, a way for them to, you know, talk about what they really care about. And um, it kind of seemed like the natural progression for that was to find a way to make land acknowledgements actionable and visible in physical form. Um, and I think the pandemic even kind of pushed that forward. Because uh, we think about like in times you can't gather, like what, what are you doing to connect with people? You know, what are you doing to be able to feel other people's energies? I think that so many of us are are, are suffering from that kind of loss, you know, and I think that what are ways that we can still see that we're, we're out there? <laughs> and um, so I, I, I kind of did like a little bit of a trial run of this project. And uh, I worked with my friends, you know, at a social distance kind of way. And uh, I just brought like scrap pieces of wood over to their house. And we painted like physical things that we cared about or statements that we needed to, you know, to say. and um, you know, at, you know, at a distance, we talked about these things and we were able to engage in like a really focused, specific way about land acknowledgement, about, you know, acknowledgement versus action, or maybe like not so much versus, but how can acknowledgement become action? And, and also language, you know, what does it mean to have language on signs, you know, and so we created signs <laughs> that people, um, and I took, we did a little photo essay of um, different friends who held up these signs in front of their homes. 
And it, it felt really powerful because we had that sort of communing in that moment, but then there was also like a little bit of an archive in that, you know? And I think that signs in general, particularly in like these days of like movement and protest, there's a memory in them, you know, there's a memory in having something physical, say something, you know, and I would like to remove the partisanship, remove the pol the politicized message, you know, and also and I, I want to make signs that are about what we actually care about, you know, about our physical sort of space in a place. And uh, so just kind of like bouncing off, I think after the first land acknowledgement workshop, Asia and I stayed on, we're just chatting, um, I think Adele as well, and we're just chatting about like land acknowledgement and how it can be, what's the next step? How do you take it further? You know, because um, in so many ways I was kind of getting wary of like teaching people, you know, and it felt like I was always in this correcting space. And I was like, well, how can we actually make it a moment where we're together because we do oh beautiful thanks because <laughs> we do you know when we when we are in front of each other or when we're talking but i do think there's something special and magical about physically creating something together and uh, i wanted to start doing physical land acknowledgements you know that took me out of that correction space you know um because it's it really is like a reflection of of kind of um, a lot of things that I've been doing myself and my own anti-racism work, you know, my own sort of like very specific activism, you know, particularly around BLM and, you know, around all the sort of unrest that's happening, you know, right now. And I think that, you know, signs, most of the signs that we see outside of protest, outside of, you know, this moment are, politicized, right? They're, who are you supporting? You know, who are you, you know, politically aligned with? You know, and you put them in front of your house and, you know, and for me, it feels very divisive. It doesn't feel like, uh, like I could walk into that person's home and talk to them about that, you know, because I, there's like a little bit of danger in that, right? You know, and, and, and putting yourself in that vulnerable place. But what if we, had signs, acknowledgements that were about what we like truly cared about. Oh gosh, I'm sorry guys. <laughs> um. ah, I'm sorry. Well, I'm just going to say, this is, I think, a picture of Ruth Miller, who is, um, yeah. right, Melissa? Yeah. So she's, yeah. she's, um, a um, Denina woman who lives and works in Anchorage. She was actually on our program last week with Jill Isaac. And here she's saying the, the um, Denina name for Anchorage. Yeah. The original, the original place name. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So sorry for the interruption. I'm, I'm not at home. I went on a little sabbatical down to Kenai, but my environment is not as controlled as it usually is. <laughs> but um, anyways, I, uh, you know, I, I think that like there's something that can be really special about a sign that that really talks about what you care about and like what you believe in on a human level. You know, what you believe in. Like I I care about, you know, about this peninsula and I care about it, you know, for so many very kind of deep reasons. You know, it's not just for you know, the house that I grew up in, it's for, it's for the relationships that shaped my identity. It's for the ancestors. It's for living on Peter Californs near Peter Kalifornsky's village. You know, it's, it's about a history kind of rooted in a place. And I think that, you know, if we were to create land acknowledgement signage, if we were to create like signage of gratefulness, that could be like a really inviting, beautiful thing. And it doesn't mean you have to like go physically knock on someone's door, but I think that it can create a bit of a community, you know, particularly if it's something that you identify with, you know, if you're grateful, you know, for the river, you know, if you're grateful, you know, um, for this mountain, for this trees, you know, if you're grateful for the people who have cared for this place for thousands of years you know, and that's such a key component, you know, and I think that, 
in so many ways, like land acknowledgement brings us to an education point, right? Because we're talking about why it is we all love Alaska, right? And Alaska, people love it and have been so attached to it in so many different ways, you know? And I think that we can actually find like a camaraderie in talking about that, you know, and talking about the reason why, you know, you live in Homer is the same reason indigenous people decided to live there for its, for its bounty, for its beauty, for what it gave itself, what it gave of itself, you know, same as it gives to you. And how do you honor that back? You know, um, I think that in some ways creating these signs, it's not so much like that they need to be like a beautiful permanent thing. It's, it's more of just being like, well, here's this moment and let's be really thoughtful of what we create a sign of what let's be really thoughtful in what we say we're grateful for, you know, and, and in having that conversation, I think that you discover a lot more about even yourself and how you connect to a place, you know, and so um, we're calling for people to bring their like old political signs if they still have them. Um, these are two of my friends, uh, Quinn Christofferson and Emma Sheffer. Um, and uh, I think that like, there's also kind of this, well, let's just like pull up what's out in our garage kind of thing. And I really like art that does that, you know, that isn't about creating, you know, more waste or it's taking something that, that would have been wasteful that, that really had just sort of a momentary kind of like place in your life and giving it a little bit of a longer, more meaningful experience, you know? So we're, we're thinking about like sanding down those political signs and then priming them and, you know, painting, um, you know, moments like this where, you know, we were talking about, you know, land acknowledgement doesn't equal action, you know, um, but like Quinn, Quinn kind of put it really, really, really beautiful. And it's like, it's like, well, yeah, it doesn't equal action. It's like, he's like, but it can, it can point us, point us in the right direction. I was like, oh, I was like, maybe we should have did an arrow. And he's like, oh no, this is good. And we'll, we'll put some flowers to soften the blow. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, anyways, uh, that's kind of like the whole sort of idea and concept. Um, I sort of talk in a circular way, so <laughs> hopefully that made sense. <laughs> No, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. So what we're describing really is a sign-making intergenerational free action that's open to everyone on August 27th um, and 28th at um, Tuget or Bishop's Speech Gazebo. And it will be from two to five on Saturday and one to three on Sunday, where people can bring shared recycled wood and plastic signboard materials, house paints, acrylic paints to make signs and honoring um, indigenous land. Thank you so much, Melissa, for that really um, thoughtful exposition. We're so excited for your, for your return in this project. I'd love to hear perspectives from, um, from Sally and um, Severine. If I could, um, starting with Sally, as a Sukhstun language teacher for Nunwalek School, could you talk about why language is so important to cultural survival and what kind of information Sukhstun provides about the environment, uh, customary life ways and ecology that English simply cannot provide? I um, just need to unmute you, Sally, thank you. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, these are kind of hard questions, and I and I thought about them and tried to explain my point of view, and I find it uh, difficult. Oops. <laughs> um, anyway, um, um, for others, you know, when I try to explain it to others, because language and culture are important uh, to each other. You know, they and they um, without one without the other, it, you know, just, they just both die. And to, to maintain our language and culture, um, we have to do it here in Nanualuk. We have to do it in Nanualuk. And because um, it, it doesn't exist in any other place in the world. I mean, like, for example, if you are, a, you know, say you're a Filipino, uh, you, you can go to the Philippines to uh, reconnect with your language and, and um, your culture and it's alive and well there. So we do Sukhstun here 
and or otherwise or it, you know it will die and it's more um, um, centered to our lifestyle uh, and the land and like for English words like the last 50 years we don't really you know have words new words for them but um, so more of an it's more of an uh, view uh, point of view of uh, subsistence uh, any I feel like any language is a reflection of a group of people and and this is our view of our world and how we understand our world we have lived here for thousands of years and you know we have uh, so many uh, we know name places we know uh, but to we live by season to you know to season and um, and to know what's happening with the animal and the earth and that's our biggest um, um, when before any contact we we um, believe that the la the outside that it it has ears and and that was our like um, we had to be respectful to it we had to respect the uh, la the 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 heavens the you know out there with the air we had to be respectful to it and listen to it and then and from there our our um our beliefs became from there you know our way of living and and to the land you know uh, our surroundings our animals that live with us and um so um anyway um we do that's how I, you know, I could explain about Nano. Like that's the only way we could keep the the language and culture alive. Is that uh, and there's so many things like in English that cannot be uh, we cannot uh, uh, explain. You know how you know um, things about um, about the Sukhbek way of living. So. Mm -hmm. And uh, how do you think, Sally, a project like this would go over in Nanwalak? You know, this is uh, not the first time Homer has done something, Ila Ghalak has done something with Nanwalak, which is really always very nice and welcoming. Uh, we came to dance and, you know, you would became, uh, you, you invite us to dance and to talk, you know, to talk about our, our language and culture. So I think, you know, it's, it's very nice. It's always very nice that you guys are, you know, when you guys are accepting and, and, and wanting us to uh, be part of Ila uh, Ghalak. Uh, because we our people travel there and and all over, you know, the Prince William Sound, uh, uh, which is Kodiak, and um, uh, um, you know, Chanekak, and then well, um, Kajikmak, and um, even Kitoriaku, you know, Anchorage, and um, all the other places all over. In fact, my my father was born and raised in. In Kuigak, uh, he's a Kuigak. He's from Ninilchik, and my mother was from. Um, I was telling you, uh, Asia from. Um, she was from um, Dogfish Bay, but at the time she was born, it was known as a place of swans and not Dogfish Bay. And, and I feel like uh, Melissa brought up this uh, BLM. Uh, you know, like um, some of the things we we want to do, like was just now starting to go back to doing the seal, but back to when, where my mother was born, it was called the place of swan. Um, um, place of swans. And now it's become dogfish bay in English. And I don't know how it got that word, but the Sukhstun name stays the same as in Nanolik Paluik, Ilagalik and so on. And, and then around to Seward. Now those places are, are, are our ancestors, they had traveled around and they knew the tides, the seasons, the where to go for when something is happening. So like BLM kind of uh, sometimes stopping us, so not BLM only, but uh, you know, the fishing game, they stop us from hunting and, and we just started uh, bringing in again, hunting seal because that was something, part of our diet we grew up with and we had to stop for so many, you know, for a long time, but now, We've got uh, trying to get our kids to understand that this is um, is very important in is part of their uh, growing up and sharing with others and and you know you know things like that. That's why we we practice our language and culture here and to try to to uh, to uh, to tell people about it is always very. It's kind of hard, I think, and so they just have to see it to be you know to understand. Mm. 
Thank you. Thank you, Sally. It's so wonderful to hear you pronounce the true and original names. And I also think it's interesting that you brought out, um, Emily's reminding me too, that BLM means Bureau of Land Management in Alaska before it meant Black Lives Matter outside in the rest of the world. So we have an overlay of multiple meanings. And it's, as, we, as we talk, we can sort of unpack you know, these words. So thank you for just for sharing your, your truth. Severine, I, I want to turn to you and, and to thank you for joining us um, and to invite you to unmute there. Thank you. As Education Coordinator for the Kachemak Bay Research Reserve, what do you see as the goals of this work and why is it important to acknowledge the original um, names of this place? Thank you. Uh, I just love hearing Sally and um, hearing the place names as they describe people's relationship to the land and relationship to the things in their, the daily life and their experience and their value. Um, I think it, over our, overall, like this, I'm so excited about land acknowledgement in general. And after a, attending a workshop with Melissa, I've just see so many threads going into um, um, my work and life and our community um, opportunities within our communities here. Um, and in general, though, I see that this this discrete project that Melissa is working on as kind of an entry point into these more deep conversations and considerations of people's values, um, identifying common values from past people and, and current residents in our area, and also just trying to connect people and sharing across different knowledge systems. Um, in my work with the research reserve and my background in science, in research and science languages, we often talk about our natural landscapes here being connected or intact. But um, in my role in like outreaching that science or connecting this ecological research to people, I've observed that people are sometimes disconnected from the landscape or disconnected from each other. So they may, they may even share common values, but they don't, those, those values aren't named. So they can't find that bridge between different um, groups of people. So I think this, this this project that Melissa is working on, I could see it really starting to stitch people together in our landscape and generating a little bit more meaningful connection within, you know, within our communities in this kind of time of disconnect and division, whether that's just social or physical isolation or um, cultural or value, val you know, value division um, within our, our local populations. I think that this project could start moving us towards um, realigning towards those land ethics that we share whilst while really um, purposefully affirming that indigenous people cultural and stewardship um, history of our area. So um, I'm just really excited to, to see the threads and see how this, this signage can become an affirmation for our intent and, and knowing that, you know, acknowledgement doesn't equal action. I think that the conversations that will come out of these signages and these photos, the archive that Melissa mentioned, will, um, will spark conversations and will help us identify strategies that will lead to action, um, that will change people's behavior to acknowledge you know, and respect the indigenous history and um, eventually long-term benefits to our human and natural landscapes here. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. If you if you were to create a sign, Severine, what um, what could you imagine it it saying? I, I was thinking about that today, and um, I I think you know w one thing that I've learned so far about land acknowledgement is that it's an expression of gratitude, um, and that's um, one of my main reasons that I really want to move forward with um, incorporating it into my practice. So I think that the um, like as we acknowledge that we are on indigenous land, can we also name that shared value and express gratitude for the past stewards of that resource or that value to the people that came before us and also commit to action to preserve that value for generations to come. So my personal sign might look something like, I'm on indigenous land. I value the people who have stewarded the abundant resources of moose, fish and clean water and I, um, I, I commit to working towards protection of those values into the future. Mm -hmm. Thank you. 
And I want to acknowledge that we have uh, many different uh, viewers and participants in this chat today. And if anybody has something that they'd like to um, speak up, Sally, I would love to, I, I hear that you have a thought or I see that you have a thought in the chat box. Please um, go ahead and unmute and share and others too, if there's some comments or ideas you want to share. Uh, I just wanted to add that when I went to um, Hawaii also that I, everywhere you looked and no matter how hard it was, it was written in their language and you know, and it just made it nicer to kind of try to converse with them and and the way Homer just kind of like you know I'm very grateful that you got you know the uh, that you're that way there too I mean everybody tried to it seems like a friendly town to me I mean mm. very friendly so I'm very grateful but uh, to have seen places like in Hawaii just to share and that was it <laughs> thank yeah. you well, that's a way that Hawaii is working toward decolonization, right? It's a very fundamental first step. Um, and, and certainly, I would like to see that happen more visibly in Homer. Do, do others have questions or, or comments that they might like to share? Please feel free to speak up. So, Melissa, I'll turn back to you and, until somebody else has a, their is ready to speak up. You're a member of the um, Aklutna Dena'ina community and you grew up in Soldatna. Is that right? Is that correct? So I'm I actually not a citizen of Aklutna, but um, I definitely I grew up here. I'm 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 a citizen of um, of Chickaloon and uh, Pyramid Lake down in Nevada. But um, I in some ways I grew up with a little a little confusion of kind of um, who I was and sort of like what Dene I was, you know, what Athabascan I was. I I, I danced with the Jabalina dancers of um, Kanaitsi and uh, my aunties who and who very traditionally, um, you know, were your teachers, you know, as a child, uh, really kind of like took me you know, under their wing and wanted to teach me about, you know, um, this part of myself. And uh, the Kanaitsi tribe, you know, they called themselves, um, and Peter California called them the Jabalina, you know, people because they were the rainbow people. You know, they were indigenous people from all over who, you know, ended up being in Kenai for whatever reason. Uh, uh, and they, not only enrolled them, but they also engaged them in cultural activities. So I spent sort of like my childhood growing up within the Kanaitsi tribe, then the Denina tribe, learning from people like Danita Peter, you know, um, and my aunties, you know, my, my aunt Sandra is, you know, the first Athabascan linguist of, you know, first Dene linguist of Denina and Atna, you know, and I, uh, language has always been a part of my life in some sort of like adjacent way. And I think that when you learn language and when you learn somebody's language, you learn about, you learn about the people, you know? And so I feel like that was kind of my introduction into that, you know, was through language, was through my auntie's sort of like love for language. And uh, in some ways I, I just kind of like, oh yeah, I'm Kanaitsi, I'm Denina without really any sort of paper, <laughs> which uh, I think, in some ways, um, the tribe would consider me much, very much a part of their tribe because of that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, so it's so yeah, that's kind of like my my entry point here, and uh, it means a lot to do art projects that in ways where I feel like a bit of a, f a fuller contributor human being <laughs> to this space, you know, as an adult and as an artist. I feel like um, a big part of my art practice has become conversation and understanding and and what it takes for us to get there. And, you know, just even like this discussion is helping me sort of like fledge some, I like flesh out some ideas like a, a bit better, you know, hearing you, Sabrine, being like, oh, my sign, you know, of course, the first thing it needs to be is says, is I'm on indigenous land and I'm grateful for, you know, like that's, that's like a beautiful way to, to help people enter into this, these ideas, right? Because I think that we can, 
you know, get so abstract in it that we forget kind of like the, the purpose, which is recognizing, you know, the work and presence of indigenous people. So um, thank you for that reminder. Uh, you know, because I, I get into these modes where I just want everyone to be here and everyone to be able to sort of like reflect what they're thinking. Um, but but that is my, oh, it's so weird to say, but, but is like my mission as an artist is to, you know, uplift, you know, these indigenous histories, you know, and I, I was on a, another Zoom call a couple days ago and, and someone, I'm forgetting their name, but I, but they, they were talking about like, if you have the capacity, you know, as an indigenous person um, to address these things as a person of color to fight for these things, then it's, if you're, if you're afforded that space, that privilege and that, um, I think that like desire, then like, it's part of like, it's part of that right thing to do as a person you know, that's, that's like your right way of being in the world, you know, and, and I thought about that. And I was just like, wow, it's like, that's like a really beautiful way to put it that being like the part of like my purpose of being here is to have those conversations is to have that understanding, and to find a way to bring people together in that, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a really, it's been an interesting pandemic thinking about all these things. Thanks. Um, and just really like kind of like what my practice is and how it's not really even my practice. It's, it's my relationships, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's developing, you know, trying to do the right, the right way by everybody, you know, and by the people whose indigenous land that we're walking on. So I'm very excited to meet you, Sally. Um, you know, and to hear your words. So thank you uh, for, for talking about language. You know, it really makes me return to sort of my roots, which is, it's always my aunties, like, just speaking at the basket and speaking Atna or denied to me and be like, do you know what I say? Did you know what I say? <laughs> and just like being like, oh gosh, okay, I really better focus in. Because <laughs> at a certain point, if I keep saying, I don't know, they don't get happy. <laughs> So great. Um, so just in, in recognition of like the impact that your teachings are having over time, Melissa, I, I noticed that this, this fellow Dan Broombach has joined us again from California. And Dan, you, you work at a research reserve, is that right? I just wanted to invite you to introduce yourself to those who are here and to tell us a little bit about why you've been called into these conversations and how you feel like it might shape your work. Um, thank you. And thank everybody. Um, yeah, I work at Elkhorn Slough. It's in Central California, in the middle of Monterey Bay, and it's um, a research reserve like the one that Sabrina works at. And Sabrina is my colleague. And there are um, there's three of these reserves in California. There's one in Oregon. There's one in Washington State. There's one in Alaska, and there's one in Hawaii. And so we've um, as a collective um, subpart of the overall system, we have been discussing how to um, better incorporate land acknowledgements in our practices at our reserves. So Sabrina made me aware of this um, series of discussions. And so that's, that's how I got involved. Um, in California, it's a, it's a different setting, you know, it's a very different situation than it is in Alaska. Um, the tribes, the indigenous groups here were much more decimated in general than I think they were in Alaska. Um, so we're, we're sort of starting at it at it from a different place, unfortunately, um, in how we think about it. And, uh, but I'm just essentially trying to learn as much as I can um, from people about how to approach this in a meaningful way. Mm. Thank you so much for, for, you know, for joining us and for learning with us. It's great to have you back. You're always welcome. Thank you. Emily, it's, it's really great to have you back to Emily Johnson is an Alaskan artist living in New York City, a Yupik storyteller, dancer and activist. And I was just 
wanted to invite you to speak about what drew you back to this conversation today. And sometimes I notice you taking notes. And so as you lead, you're also always learning. And I thought maybe you would be interested in sharing some of your reflections. Just, I think just that. Um, I've been meaning to attend uh, one of Melissa's workshops and haven't been, our timing hasn't coalesced yet, but any time that I can be in an Indigenous-led conversation, that's a place that I want to be. And so I was so grateful to hear from you, Sally, hear from you, Severine, and of course, from Melissa, who I know, who I know well and, and getting to know better. Um, and so just being in that kind of shared space, which is always, I've been working with this with this way of thinking about knowledging, <laughs> knowledging, being in a process of, of, of generating and questioning and rethinking forms of knowledge. And, um, and I think that all of our ways of, of processing through, through language, through our relation to the land that we are from or the land that we occupy like is is so specific mm -hmm. um is so is so specific and should be as well as everyone has said should be guided by the land itself um and so in that way dan like it's always so different like starting a process of land acknowledgement it it needs to be different in every place because the history um is different there and and the language is different there the indigenous language is different there and so like sally said the the knowledge base there is very different so of course every process of coming into land acknowledgement would be very um would be very specific and um mm -hmm. and I, and i guess i just have a question too to to you all here because as i've been working with land acknowledgement and through my um, other practices of art making, really thinking about, um, about, I think I, when I began land acknowledgement processes, I knew about, in, I knew about connecting to land because of where I grew up in Alaska and about uh, embodied process of, of trying to feel the ground all the time as a, as a dancer, that's how I, how I dance. Um, and that has really shifted uh, over the last few years into really being an activist for land return. Um, and I'm not a legal person. I don't know some of those processes, but I, I'm really starting to shift an understanding. Maybe that's part of the knowledging about how land acknowledgement is related to land return or land back and um, have lots of questions about it and certainly a desire for it. And so I guess I'm wondering, um, Melissa or Sally or anyone, um, Sabrina, what you what you have been thinking about in terms of that. Um, I was just talking with someone about, you know, de decolonization, you know, and about what that actually means and, and really like how it's been kind of given this space of interpretation, you know, of saying like, oh, we can interpret decolonization as this or as that. And, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, an elder spoke up and just being like, it's just our land, like, that's just our power. Like, <laughs> you know, and it makes so much sense, right? You know, because our languages are so embedded and so acutely tuned, you know, to be in relationship with that place, you know. Um, I, I was talking to an Inupiaq person once and they were like, yeah, we have 82 words for ice because we want to be able to communicate with each other, you know, the very specific form of ice, you know, that we are, you know, going to be jumping on, you know, in our, in our hunting, like it was part of survival, like understanding, you know, your, your environment like that and respecting it, you know, for the reverence it deserves. And, you know, I think that, you know, for me, language has always been sort of like, that's how you know a person. And, if you know a person and you you learn that all of their components is based in in a, in a singular place or a, or a singular region area that's that's the crux of their belief systems of their you know moral code of of their knowledge 
it's in the land, you know, and having our land back and being able to use it in the way and, and uh, utilize it in a way that's, that's so about our actions on it. I think that I, uh, is so important, you know, I'm kind of taking a, a, a jump there, but uh, so Sally, you have to let me know, but uh, Denina or Denina, Atna, Dene languages are all verb-based languages. They're all about what you're actually doing, you know, and then of course they're what you're doing on the land. And so our language, you know, is created, you know, out of actions and nouns that are based in this very specific place. So when we talk abstractly, when we talk spiritually about things, it's also so connected to that place. You know, you can't separate it. And, you know, um, indigenous languages, it's, it's a very special thing to know an indigenous language in the place that you're in, because you'll understand the utility, the watering direction, you'll understand so much more if you understand that language you know and understand how people used and interacted with that land thousands and thousands of years ago and today and i think that when you learn that you 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 also you kind of like peek into like this this like very important knowledge that we all are searching for because we're searching for the way that we can continue to live here you know the way that we can continue to to exist in this space um and right now, the way we're going, you know, with with sort of like Western ideologies, you know, we're killing this place, you know, um, it's this, you know, the, the science is there, the evidence is there. And Native people have been talking about this for so long, which is why giving them the land back and letting them <laughs> operate in the way that is traditional and honors kind of their contemporary understanding of it. Um, is actually really important to all of our futures, you know, and uh, I also wanted to talk a little bit to um, kind of like what Dan had said, you know, trying to find, you know, entry points and ways, ways to do this stuff the right way, you know, and because we, we end up talking a lot. One of the questions I ask in the workshop is how does your, how do you, how does your work affect indigenous lives, you know, and I realize in that question, you know, people have a lot of ways that they think that they're they're doing the right things by indigenous people. And that question in the discussion kind of brings up the fact that, you know, having sort of an outsider sort of understanding of what's happening doesn't serve any of us, you know? And I think that for me, going to any community that isn't Chickaloon, it's like I have to do that work too. And part of that work is introducing yourself and telling people what your intentions are. And I think also like doing the work to, to try to understand what they care about in this moment, you know, um, I think in, in Alaska and, you know, in, in America, you know, a lot of indigenous communities are used to, you know, kind of like the, the person coming in and observing and, and trying to do like the right thing. But there isn't usually that, that conversation, right, that needs to happen of being like, what do you care about? What can I do? All of us in this room have a certain amount of power and privilege what can I, what power and privileges do I have and what can I do to give them to you? What can I do to use those to help you and what you already care about, you know? Because I think like indigenous communities, I mean, we show, that, we show that we're so resilient, you know, and humans are resilient, but indigenous communities as a whole, you know, have gone through so much. And I think that acknowledging that resilience and you know recognizing that the best thing you can do is try to know them and try to understand them like that is a that is a a beautiful entry point into even really caring about kind of like what it is that you do you know and 
I mean, I started this workshop with my language, right? With, uh, with introducing myself and, um, uh, an elder Wilson Justin once told me that, you know, traditional land acknowledgements was, was going into a territory with a happy face. And I, and I was just kind of like, what, what do you mean by that? And he was like, well, he's like, you put on your kinkona, you put on your beads, you go in and you go in with your best foot forward and you tell them who you are. You introduce yourself. You, because in doing that, you, you're showing respect. And in doing that, you're, you're also offering something, you know, and I like to think of land acknowledgement is kind of my introduction, you know, and in some ways, you know, every time I do a land acknowledgement, I never like read it off a of paper because I always need to be thinking about the space that I'm going into and who's going to be listening to me. And I think that like, in some ways you can, you can do that with your introduction. It's like discover, you know, the things that you want to do for those communities, for that, for that sort of place and verbalize it and stand by it and be accountable to it, you know? And, uh, and I think people will, people meet you. I think when you're sincerely doing that, it's not always easy and it's not always like, you know, the, we all bumble through that, right? Because that's like the, that's, that's the process of change is that you just do as, as much as you can, as best as you can. And then you mess up and you get corrected and you're knocked down. And then you do as much as you can, the best you can this far, and then you get knocked down. But, but that's like, that's like the moment we're in, right? Even like with, with anti-racism and everything is, is understanding that, that um, we're going to be wrong and that we have to just be able to accept correction, you know? in that uncomfortableness because it's maybe a space we're not supposed to feel comfortable in. Mm. Thank you. Go ahead, Rika. I have a question and it's uh, somewhat of a segue. Um, I am working with Sabrina with Ketchumac Bay Research Reserve um, on a project that we're calling Salmon Need Land 2. And I love the, the indigenous way of the land is you, that it's all family, and that you are con so connected to land. And we are searching for a way to further communicate the value of land to fish and to all kinds of living beings and i'm struggling with a way to introduce the land's voice to those people who are living on the land and aren't even aware that baby salmon are living right there amongst them in these wetlands and i love your idea of signage and wondered if it is disrespectful at all to have the land speaking to those people who are living on the land in a way reflecting that this is fish land too, that fish live here, moose live here. Um, how to best communicate what we're learning, we white people are learning through science that I think you knew all along, having lived on this land for thousands and thousands of years, that of course baby salmon live here. You don't harm this land because this is part of that whole living cycle. And I'm now more and more intrigued about the idea of signage and how to use that signage to introduce the living beings living on this land to the people that are living on it that aren't even aware of their presence. Um, I, I, I don't know what I'm asking. Um, is it, and I realize that you're talking about humans and human culture, but I think indigenous people are connected in all ways. It, um, with the land and 
that it's even that all living beings are part of your family, part of family, part of all of our family and trying to communicate that. Um, I don't know if I'm asking or just saying that I'm trying to connect people who are not aware of land and are disconnected with land and how best to connect them in an indigenous way. I just admire, I, I, I love these talks. I, I, I don't know what to say. What do you think, Sally? Well, uh, when, yeah, to hear her talk about uh, uh, having, you know, uh, baby salmon are living in the water. My mother and my grandfather, even he was a priest, he told me, um, or they used to tell us that there's a spirit, everything have a spirit, even the rocks, even the trees, even the animals. And we had, uh, when people go hunting and, you know, they put uh, buried uh, guts or things that, you know, they didn't have use for from the, we eat almost everything of the animals when we, uh, when we get them. And then um, where to, you know, put them. And, and that was the fear that I have now for kids not respecting, like, I mean, you, you walk and you see a, a, a dead uh, bird on the road you're walking and they used to tell us don't step over it don't go around it pick it up and put it to the side where nobody's going to see it to step on it to you know if it's dead you know if it's a bird and or or a fish even you don't step on fish nothing you don't and even rocks everything mountain have a, a spirit everything did so we had to we had to you know respect it and and so with that being taken away and with um, what she, uh, Rika just talked about, and that was, um, it brings back to me the fear that we're losing with the kids like she have. And, and when we try to teach that in school, but I feel like, um, you know, there's different, it has to be taught at home too. Mm -hmm. I thank Rivka for bringing that up. Thank you so much, Koyana, and to make mm -hmm. it, you know, we're still kids, don't you? Can't just uh, got a fish and just throw the guts anywhere. You have to put them in the, you know, throw them in the water, put them in the water, or they're going to come back again. Food for the seagull, food, you know, it's going to, you have to do it nice in a good way. And I always thank the, you know, the, the cats you have. I always thank them for giving themselves up to you. So even the trees, you know, you just say you have to be, wary of things plants and even there's even a, a medicine we have that um i can't remember the name of it offhand but uh not or I, no no but anyway it's one that's really important to us and when we go get it in the meadow we leave a present for it when we pick it up we have to leave a present for it so it could be anything a hairpin a, a bubble gum or you know even but you put it in there in its place and always and thanking it for you know for having been letting us take it hmm. i'm thinking about with so much appreciation for these points sally i'm thinking about how um it seems like the future of planetary stewardship is the indigenization of science, the indigenization of Western codes of thought. Um, and that is a process of repatriation, in a sense. That is a process of um, giving the land back, is lifting the land up through the languages of science and art. What are you thinking um, about this, Severina? Yeah, I was, um, I'm really, you know, processing what Sally mentioned and, and thinking about um, some things that I thought about before coming to this conversation and how I can bring my full strength or my power to, um, to bear, to assist or bring capacity to this um, collaboration or dialogue going forward. And I think it's um, what Melissa said about having that vulnerability or coming to the conversation being humble but still coming in with your full strength is important because you can give that strength away. And I think um, this, this idea of our, you know, translating between languages and just um, not only languages, but um, the language of our discipline. So how can science, how can we 
um, take what we understand from science, science and that knowledge system and work on, um, like Emily said, knowledging. How do we work um, to, to knowledge better together and um, understand like how science can move towards more towards um, communicating um, through the lens of um, traditional indigenous stewardship because I, I do believe that um, the language of language of science is changing. We're starting to talk more about um, terms like ecosystem services or natural benefits, um, moving beyond and acknowledging the value of land and resources beyond a dollar amount, which is a very um, way to try to decolonize. We don't want to talk about land and value in just a dollar amount because it's a very Western construct. Um, so can we consider a new relationship um, with people and systems and start talking and start elevating the value of cultural services um, that lands and resources provide, not only just provisioning sustenance, um, regulatory, you know, like or regulating, like making sure things are cool or warm, but um, moving more towards valuing those aesthetic, um, those spiritual, those education or recreational or family opportunities that we um, that we so value and that those those are all shared um, with past people and current residents too. So I think that there's a lot of work that scientists and educators in my field um, can do to to move towards those those common purposes, I guess, and move towards translating um, these ideas into a language that we can all work together around and um, basically communicate to affect change in our policy making and in our processes that um, will start to create those behavior changes and actions that lift um, lift away the practices that don't benefit us and um, start to re um, replace them with more restorative or more um, um, just or equitable types of practices. Thank you so much. This has been a really powerful dialogue. I want to thank um, Melissa Shaganoff for her um, Land Acknowledgement in Action project and invite everybody to participate August 27th and 28th at Tuget um, Bishop's Beach Gazebo uh, Landmarking Project, which um, everyone of all ages is welcome to participate in. Thank you also, um, Sally Ash, uh, Sixtern language teacher from Nanwalik, for joining us. And, um, and thank you, um, all of our audience and participants. I, I just want to lift up in closing Dan um, Brumbach's thoughts, a framing thought that some in science are moving towards is one health, meaning healthy people, healthy wildlife, and healthy environment. It's all connected, and it grows out of the indigenous ways of life. So learning together with you all is really a pleasure. Thank you, Melissa, um, for inspiring this dialogue. And we hope to see all of you next um, with our, you know, our continuing dialogues. Um, we're gonna be talking about art, education and pandemic times next week, but um, maybe we'll see you down at uh, to get a Bishop's Speech Gazebo on August 27th. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you. So nice to meet you, Sally. Oh, yeah, no, nice to meet everybody. Oh, gosh. And thank you, you all. Nice to meet you, Dan, too. Yep. Thank you. All right. Take good care. Thank you all. Uh, Bye. 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 Bye.